It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell talking Gamecocks football each and every week. want to appreciate, uh, tell everyone out there that we appreciate you joining us uh, as this is a new podcast and our numbers have been outstanding. Uh, so thank you. Uh, apologies for this being a little late this week because uh, I think I've been dealing with um, a cold uh, that pops up every now and then, especially around this time of the year when the weather changes and all that, but certainly glad to be with you. And, and Tony, you know, speaking of kind of under the weather, I, I think if I had kind of a broad phrase to describe the game with South Carolina and Florida last weekend, it would probably be that, you know, the symbolism of the weather, you know, being bad. Uh, and also just kind of the way the game went down. I mean, 38 to 27, the Gators win second straight year. The Gamecocks have been up in the fourth quarter. Florida's come back. The officiating, you know, I, I think was uh, – there have been a lot of blatant calls go against every program over the years, and South Carolina's no exception. I, I think sometimes we live in the Gamecock bubble, and, you know, obviously it looks a lot more. But I, I've never seen anything where, you know, the guy's streaking down the sidelines and the defensive back's chasing him and the receiver is supposed to be blocking, has a fistful of jersey for about 30 yards. <laughs> and it didn't get called. Um, I've seen the pick play actually not get called sometimes. Um, you know, he swallowed the whistle on that. You know, that was a, a tough deal. And I think almost unanimously, you know, folks can agree because those calls came on scoring plays. Uh, that 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 was that was brutal and and that that's just something that has to be addressed. But in college football, you can't do anything about that. Um, and, and it's not like the Gamecocks, you know, didn't weren't at fault at times. The passing game wasn't really working, uh, especially with some of the deep shots in the second half. Uh, I do think anytime you run the ball for what two hundred and thirty three yards, uh, that's what Feaster and and uh, Denson had combined. Uh, that's a pretty good day. Uh, and normally you should win. You outgained them 387 to 354. Um, but it just wasn't meant to be. And uh, just one of the more tough losses, uh, I think, in terms of what might have been and how it went down uh, that the Gamecocks have had. And they've had, you know, quite a few, uh, I guess, in the last, you know, 10 or so games of the Muschamp era. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a tough one to watch the way it unfolded. You know, on one hand, you have to give Florida credit. They've been a, a great fourth quarter team all year, and they were again on Saturday, and, and they did what they needed to do to win the game. Uh, but, you know, as you talked about, the, the officiating was absolutely horrendous. And, you know, you mentioned the, the, the hold that, that Florida had on the running play um, that was really a big 75-yard run right after South Carolina had taken the lead and had all the momentum. Uh, it was also a false start on that play that was blatant, that there's just no way it should be missed. Javon Kinlaw was held on that play. Um, you know That, that literally should have never happened. Florida should have been backed up, and South Carolina had an excellent shot to, to get the stop there with Florida backed up, keep good field position, and potentially go up two scores if they get the ball back. The pick play was right in front of the official. I mean, he literally was standing right there. And if you watch Kyle Trask on that play, he actually hesitates to throw the ball for a second. It was almost like he saw how blatant it was. And it was like, I, I don't even know if I should throw it. And then he, he goes ahead and throws it, gets the touchdown. And, and 
Will Muschamp proceeds to lose his mind, and and rightly so. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying South Carolina would have definitely won the game had those calls gone differently, but I sure would have liked to have seen it played that way because, um, you know, it was bad. And there were also, I mean, Javon Kinlaw was held the entire game. And I know there's an old cliche that you can you can call holding on just about any play, but some of the holds they got away with on Kinlaw were just blatant, and they were they were instances where he was in position to change the direction or make a play and and just you know gets blatantly held and nothing is called and and, and I don't fault Florida for it. I mean, if they're going to get away with it, you know that that they're not doing anything um, that that I wouldn't tell them to do if I was coaching them, but. Uh, the officials have to be better than they were on Saturday, and and um, you know Tennessee's feeling a, you know similar uh, to that with with some of the the calls that went against them in the Alabama game. Now, of course, that game was not as close, and I don't think they had really had a chance to win it. But um, yeah, I think the the fans can can share some sorrow uh, this week pregame with with what they both dealt with last week with from the officials. Yeah, I mean, there's no, and that was, that was the thing about it. It wasn't so much that there was, you know, I've seen games where there's bad call after bad call and all that. But it, it was an impact. I mean, the plays just made huge impacts. So they were, they were turning points. You know, the Pierce run, and by the way, Damian Pierce is a good back and, you know, hats off to him. But man, yeah, I just brought up the one blatant one. Uh, you know, and you brought up two more that were obvious. I mean, that's three penalties on one play. And it came right after the Gamecocks had taken the lead. And, and the Gamecocks had a lot of momentum. And there's nothing that says, okay, if you make the right call and you call that back, that Florida – because I think Florida was pretty inconsistent on offense, you know, most of the day. I think the Gamecocks' defense was playing pretty well. Um there's nothing that says Florida's going to come back and just drive down the field and, and score again. You know, that that's kind of – they weren't really driving it consistently uh, up and down the field against the Gamecocks defense. So that, that's what was just so bad. I mean, you're sitting there in a 17-10 to 10 ball game, and the Gamecocks, to their credit, even after that big, long run, still recovered, still took a 20-17 to 17 lead, still had a turnover. Trask was off. I mean – that you know, South Carolina gets the ball back in that situation, or, or gets a stop, or even holds them to a field goal. Then comes down and scores again, and it's a two-score game. You know, I, I think Florida, even though they have had a magic horseshoe, uh, so to speak, in a lot of games this year in the fourth quarter, I don't know that Florida comes back. I mean, you can kind of tell by the Gators' body language that before that big run, you know, it, it wasn't a situation where they were like, you know. You can kind of feel in certain situations. You, you can feel like a team will probably come back. Uh, I thought, you know, after you know, right before that run, I thought, well, the Gamecocks really have taken momentum in this one, and I was pretty confident Carolina would win the game. I was, I was even pretty confident at the start of the fourth quarter. I just, you know, and then all of a sudden you look up and it's thirty-eight to twenty, and you're kind of scratching your head and going, "Wow," you know. So I, I, uh, I do think the guys in the uh, the black and white stripes there, uh, you know, hats off if you're a Gator fan to them for the assist on that victory. Uh, and it, it's just a tough one. But nevertheless, it is a loss. Uh, and, and Tony, I've been floating this theory around because <clears throat> Will Muschamp, and you're talking about a program that for 17 and a half years had Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. They had two coaching changes in 17 years. And you, you hire those two guys. 
Um, obviously, Will Muschamp didn't come in with the pedigree that Holtz or Spurrier did or generate the excitement. So, you know, I don't feel bad saying it wasn't the most popular hire in the world. Um, I also think Muschamp's done some really good things. Uh, and obviously, when you when you look and you study the guts of a program, the recruiting, the staff, the setup, what's going on internally, um, you know, I, I think that when you look at what Muschamp does, you're, you're impressed. Uh, I don't think he's won enough, you know, as of now. Uh, but it seems like, you know, th- this happens. Like South Carolina will get to a point where, okay, everybody's going to rally behind him. Um, they could win this one. This could really be something good. Uh, and then a loss happens. And I, I kind of point to the Kentucky game in 2017. Um, I think the bowl game last year to a certain extent was that way because you know, even though it was a belt bowl, nobody was really excited about going to the belt bowl. Carolina sold all its tickets and they showed up. Um, you know, North Carolina was more of an opportunity to get up off the mat and they didn't. Um, you know, and so, yeah, this game's another one of those inflection points where, you know, they just kind of, I don't want to say face planted, but uh, they didn't get it done. And this has happened over and over again. And I think that, you know, and, until it doesn't, you know, you're going to have a situation where there's a part of the fan base that's not fired up about Muschamp. And I'll add this to that, though. I think this one feels a little different because of how it went down. You know, I don't, I don't think the fans are you know, calling for changes or anything like that over a loss that, that went down like that. But there's only so many opportunities. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the next time South Carolina gets in this position, I don't even know if it'll happen this year, you know, they have to start taking advantage of it um, and, and not having, I guess, the, the life uh, drained out of the fan base uh, over and over again uh, with losses in critical situations. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there. And, you know, I, I think even though they're, they're out of it in terms of the SEC East for the most part, I, I still think the rest of the season is important for Muschamp and the the direction of the program and and building momentum going forward and you know this weekend is is a a big game in a lot of ways i think it you know it's a road test Helensky has not you know won a game on the road other than at georgia so you know he hasn't always played his best on the road so i think there's a test there and he's coming off a game where he didn't play especially well against florida so i think there's a test for south carolina this week and you know Vanderbilt is not going to be a walk in the park. App State is, is going to be a tough matchup. A&M is not as good as, as a lot of people thought they were, but going to A&M is still tough. Uh, and then, of course, Clemson in the season. So I, I, I think you know, there, there's an opportunity to, to make some good things happen in the rest, the rest of this season and, and put them in a good frame of mind going into the offseason. But there's also uh, a chance for them to lose some of these games and, and really – lose that opportunity for momentum and, and go into this, the offseason with a lot of question marks. And I think that's really what they have to avoid. They have to, to fare well enough the rest of this season to still be able to go on the recruiting trail and sell the program and, and land quality players in the rest of this 2020 class and going forward starting in 2021. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think it's just going to be really tough if the bottom falls out, and let's say they lose to App State, they lose Tennessee this weekend, lose at A&M, lose at Clemson, and you're finishing one and four. I think they'll beat Vanderbilt. 
I think Vanderbilt put everything they had into beating Missouri <laughs> this past weekend. And um, the quarterback they put in, Mo Hassan, was, gave him kind of a good spark. But he's out now again, so they're kind of back to being whoever. But you finish 4-8, and eight, even if you – with the win over Georgia, which I think does carry a lot of weight. I mean, Will Muschamp is at the top of every hot seat list going into the offseason. And you're 4-8 and eight with a team that was supposed to be your best team. And you lost some games you shouldn't have, teams you shouldn't have lost to. And all that negativity is going to carry. I mean, it, Tony, the negativity from the Belt Bowl alone, with the, it was more with the fan base this offseason. But that kind of stuff's going to seep into recruiting because when an opposing coaching staff, um, let's say Mac Brown wants to come into South Carolina and recruit uh, Justice Boone from Sumter because, you know, Mac Brown probably thinks that, you know, hey, we recruited South Carolina before, <laughs> and uh, it's much tougher to do that these days. But let's say he comes in there and does that. This is a hypothetical, folks. Uh, don't 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 put this out as something I'm reporting because it's hypothetical. Let's say he goes in, and you know what are you going to do? You're going to print out all the hot seat lists. And nowadays, you know they start in January, and and you know you start previewing the next college football season in January, and so you're you're going to have to deal with that. And 2020, uh, I think, could remain in good shape. You may lose some guys down the stretch there. But 2021, Tony, with it being a year in state that's not very good um, or not very deep as far as what we know right now, uh, North Carolina is pretty loaded. But you know that's going to be a battleground because North Carolina's up there uh, recruiting well. Clemson is going to go back into the state. My understanding is they've got their eyes on a lot of guys in North Carolina. Uh, you have the other SEC and ACC schools up there. You know, you're, you're talking about a situation where, hey, 2021 may not get off to a great start, and then if you don't have a good year the next year and you have to make a change, that's that's two classes you're behind. And I think part of it is the accelerated recruiting calendar these days, but I think, uh, you know, another part of it is just kind of how things go. Uh, and it's just so hard to kind of keep momentum going and um, continue to recruit. And if you get two classes behind, that's going to be whoever the coach is moving forward. It's going to be awfully difficult. So uh, I'm with you. I, I think that there's – and I, I think I said this before the Kentucky game um, because things just started off so bad. But I think now with this Tennessee game, South Carolina's back at another crossroads. Um, and I think that that's going to be something to sort of uh, keep an eye on moving forward. Um, Rico Dowdle hurt the first play of the game. Man, that, that was tough. He went for eight yards, hurt the first play of the game. He's out this week. I, I mentioned Feaster and Denson. Uh, had a really good combined 233 yards. You know, I, I think South Carolina's going to have to run the ball just like in every game. I think the passing game has to get better. But what, what, what are your thoughts on Rico Dowdle and um, sort of moving forward? Um, that running back spot's really getting thin, you know, if you, if you think about it. It's basically Feast, Feaster and Denson, um, and everybody else is kind of on the shelf right now. Yeah, it's, I hate it for Dowdle. On one hand, that you know, I would like to have seen South Carolina play that Florida game with him healthy throughout and, and not getting hurt on the first play of the game. Uh, I'm also – happy for him in the sense that it's not a career-ending injury. I know there was some fear that it was an ACL injury and and could have been 
you know, the end of his career at South Carolina. So it does sound like he's going to get an opportunity to return this season. So I'm happy for him personally. You know, AJ Turner would be the third guy in that rotation that you mentioned, and he's his hamstring has been bothering him. So we'll just have to wait and see. Sounds like he's probably not going to be ready to play this week, but could be ready uh, the following week. But, you know, I, I think Feaster and Denson can get it done as long as those guys can stay healthy. And, and you know, they don't have any more injuries at the position. Deshaun Fenwick's a little bit of a mystery right now as to, to you know, what his status is. He hasn't played at all this year, didn't dress for the Charleston Southern game, I guess, because of an injury. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see if he, you know, sees the field at some point this season. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Denson is a guy that, that he just produces. You know, he's not flashy. He's not going to, you know, wow you with any kind of, uh, amazing elusiveness or open field moves but uh, he just produces he's always going forward he hits the hole quickly and and you know I think they'll be okay this weekend uh, without Dowdle uh, as long as they can uh, you know, keep Feaster and Denson healthy and then maybe get Turner in the mix once that hamstring is better yeah I thought, I thought it was good to see Feaster put up some big numbers um, and I thought he ran really hard and you know it was kind of a Kind of his type of game, you know, with the wet field and all that. I think, you know, he was kind of a little bit slippery uh, out there. But I've been impressed with, with how he's run. I, I I didn't know coming in that he would, you know, get a be a 1,000-yard rusher or whatever he was kind of looking for. Um, I, I realized there was a reason he wasn't the starter at Clemson. It's just because he got beat out. But, uh you know, I think we saw – I think he's gotten better as a player at South Carolina this year, and I think that we saw that on Saturday. A.J. Turner's been a mystery to me because I, I kind of half expected him to be in the mix at corner, as thin as they are over there, back to running back. Um, you know, he's a guy that's played a lot of ball uh, for the Gamecocks, but it's kind of been disappeared this year. I guess it, it's, it has been because of injury. Uh, and then another guy that people talk about that – uh, I guess uh, everybody liked to talk about after the spring game because he had a good spring game and there's been issues in the secondary. Jamel Cook kicked off the team. Um, you know, the best thing I can say about this is I, I think it's fortunate that you – know, I think South Carolina's been fortunate and been also um, – it's also a testament to the type of program Will Muschamp runs that the Gamecocks have not had very many issues like this, you know, legal issues – uh, Cook charged with domestic violence and arrested, suspended indefinitely, then kicked off the team. Um, you know, I, because he wasn't playing a whole lot and because they weren't all that fired up about him playing because he just wasn't getting it done in practice and all that, I don't know that this is a big loss. I think, Tony, you hate to see the potential uh, go by the wayside there, but, um, you know, it, I, I don't think it affects, like, the, the way the Gamecocks uh, – if the Gamecocks will win or lose or whatever, the competitive nature of, of the football games this season, I, I don't think it really affects them at all. No, I agree with that. I mean, he wasn't going to play this year. He's one of those guys that just never was with the program. You know, I, I, I think, um, you know, one of the coaches described him as a, a union worker. You know, he was a guy who was going to do the bare minimum every day, and, and that's just not going to get you on the field uh, for South Carolina, you have to to be willing to put in the work and, and earn your way onto the field, and he just wasn't willing to do that. So, uh, in a way, it just ends the process sooner with him cutting his own throat and and uh, you know 
committing the violation that got him dismissed from the program. So he wasn't going to play this year, despite some of the fans continuing to, to push for him to, to see play in time. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. And uh, he wasn't really even helping on special teams. So uh, I don't think it's, he's someone they're going to really miss at this point. A union worker. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man. That's classic. All right. So this Tennessee game, uh, kickoff is at 4 p.m., SEC Network, uh, Rocky Top, all that. Been watching Tennessee play South Carolina in football for a long, long time. And and really, since 2000, Tony, this has been one of the most competitive series in the country in terms of margin of victory. I I don't know that – you know, I think Tennessee won by 14 in 04 in Holtz's last year. Lane Kiffin's one team – Beat the Gamecocks 31-13. Gamecocks beat Tennessee by three touchdowns, I think, and Fulmer got fired after that in 08. Other than that, it's just been close. And if you look at it, you know, this decade especially, South Carolina's had some good teams. Uh, And Tennessee has not had some good teams. Like in 2012, it took a heroic play by Jadevi and Clowney to save that victory. It was 38-35. Um, of course, that was the game Marcus Lat- that ended Marcus Lattimore's career uh, in Columbia. And then in 2015, Butch Jones probably had his best team with the Vols, or one of them. Uh, South Carolina goes up there and, and, and with Sean Elliott as the interim head coach and uh, almost pulls off a shocking upset. Uh, Jamel Adams, Jarrell Adams, excuse me, Jarrell Adams uh, dropped a pass, fell down, fell down. Well, did he drop a pass or did he fall down? Anyway, it was some kind of play to him late in the game. Uh, in 2015, Gamecocks lost 27-24. Muschamp's 3-0 against the Vols, but those scores have been 24-21, 15-9, and 27-24. Uh, you know, I just – I think South Carolina's a better team, and we'll kind of dig into the specifics, but I just have no reason to believe this isn't going to be another game that goes right down to the wire – you know, based on, you know, the, the almost 20-year history of the series. Yeah, there, there have definitely been a number of close games between these two teams, and it always seems to be a fourth-quarter affair and, and oftentimes comes down to the final possession. So, um, yeah, I, I could see it going that way this weekend again, although if, if Garantano ends up being the quarterback – which there's some question as to whether that's going to happen. But if he is, I, I think that gives South Carolina potentially a better chance to win the game going away because uh, he's just been so erratic. I think Pruitt has lost confidence in him. I think some of the players have lost confidence in him. And I think South Carolina would have a chance to frustrate him with the way they're playing defensively and potentially force some turnovers that would give their offense a chance to, to win it handily. But I think Obviously, the offense would have to play a lot better than they did against Florida last week. The passing game would have to be better. Helensky would have to be more consistent and, and um, you know, hitting the receivers when they're open. But, um, but like you said, history says it's probably going to be another close game and, and, and one that, that comes down to which team can execute better in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think that's it. But Garantano was a guy that I thought during the recruiting process – was probably the most overrated quarterback prospect in the country. I looked at kind of his production at the high school level in New Jersey. He was a guy that was really good in camps, you know. Uh, and then I kind of last year in certain situations, um, I thought he played pretty well. 
you know, they gave him a lot of high percentage throws. He was accurate for the most part. Uh, and I was kind of expecting to be wrong ultimately about that. But, boy, he's been terrible this season. And it's funny because I got Jim Chaney up there calling plays. And, and Jim Chaney's pretty pretty accomplished play caller and all that good stuff. So I think that, uh, you know, when you look at it, that would probably be something that um, – you know, that would be advantageous to South Carolina. J.T. Shrout uh, is the other quarterback uh, that, that may play. Uh, Brian Maurer, the freshman, um, is out. He's had a concussion the last two weeks. And I do think his, off, his play gave that offense a little bit of a spark. Um, but the fact, Tony, that I think they're even talking about Shrout being the starter uh, kind of shows you. Uh, it's kind of telling about Garantano. Um, and uh, and all that. Garantano did uh, start against Carolina in 2017. I think that was his first career start and struggled. Uh, but then also nearly uh, led the Vols down the field for an improbable win late. So, you know, we'll see kind of what, uh, what the deal is there. Uh, but I, I do think that, that quarterback situation is something to keep an eye on. Uh, this series overall, Tony, it, I, I, I've always said that I think Clemson and Georgia, obviously, are South Carolina's top two rivals if you want to get into, you know, who are the rivals. Uh, I've always thought that the Tennessee game, and I've felt this way since the 1990s, is probably right there at third on the list. And I I know Tennessee hasn't been any – they haven't been good in 13 years. I mean, it's been – we're talking 07 is the last time they won a division. Uh, They've had – this will be probably their 12th losing season out of 16. Um, if they do have a losing season this year. Uh, I have felt, though, that because of of the way historically Tennessee has recruited well in the Carolinas uh, and because of the history of their program, and they've got great fans and a big stadium and outstanding tradition and all that good stuff, that it's important for South Carolina to kind of uh, not just be competitive, but to win as many games as possible against the Vols. Uh, just because I, I think the Gamecocks and, to a lesser extent, Clemson, they've both done a good job of kind of over the years, I guess, beating Tennessee back as far as players in the state of South Carolina goes. Um, and they also fight a lot of recruiting battles uh, with the Vols in Georgia and uh, a few in North Carolina here and there as well. So I, I, I've always thought that from a recruiting standpoint, you know, from a proximity standpoint, from – some of the bad blood about Philip Fulmer coming and, and taking the players out of the state and all that good stuff. I think this one's always up there. I think it's an important game for South Carolina to win uh, every single season, regardless of you know how good or bad Tennessee is or even how good or bad South Carolina is. I, I think it's, it's a critical series uh, in terms of kind of how things are set up. Uh, and that's not even to mention that South Carolina is now going into Tennessee and recruiting really well <laughs> all of a sudden as well. So I, I think from a, I think this one's very important each and every year. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was going to mention what you said there at the end that, you know, Bobby Bentley has worked really hard to establish a foothold in the state of Tennessee and has built some relationships and, and is using some resources there to, to help South Carolina get some quality players. I think they lead on Reggie Grimes and 
you know, Keyshawn Lawrence, uh, uh, one of the top safeties in the country who's committed to Tennessee, is good friends with Grimes, and South Carolina's looking to, to get him on campus for an official visit. And I think the first step towards confirming that is beating Tennessee this weekend. Lawrence will presumably be there or at least be watching, and uh, you know it's a chance for South Carolina to make it a statement on a player like him. And I think there's some underclassmen up there as well that Bentley has his eye on that they, they think they have a chance to, to be significant factors with. Uh, and the other the other element I think is that you know Jeremy Pruitt and Will Muschamp I think recruit the same type of player in a lot of cases and you're going to continue to see them offering the same players and and going up against each other on the recruiting trail because of their shared philosophies especially on defense I think they look for you know similar type players in the secondary and and on the defensive line and similar scheme and so uh, it's definitely uh, an important game from a perception standpoint and a recruiting standpoint and a, a chance for South Carolina to, to build some minimum in more ways than one, if they can get the win. Yeah. I, I'm kind of digging into the matchups a little bit. I, I thought Tennessee's offensive line at the beginning of the season was definitely bad. Um, and I, I never kind of bought into the fact that no matter how many stars, some of their younger linemen were rated, you know, you throw a bunch of freshmen out there on the offensive line. It's not going to be good. They have gotten some guys back, I do think they're playing better, but, but I, I I think that South Carolina's defensive line. I, I thought they had an advantage in the Florida game. I thought they played well. Well, of course we. It was hard to say they had a big advantage against Georgia because of Georgia's offensive line. But I, I thought they played well enough for the Gamecocks to win the Florida game. Uh, I think this weekend, though, Tony, South Carolina's defensive line has a even more of an advantage uh, playing this Tennessee offensive line. Uh, because of the Vols' issues at quarterback, I think getting penetration and stopping the run and being stout up front is going to be a huge critical factor you know, for South Carolina in terms of stopping Tennessee's offense on Saturday. Yeah, it all starts up front for South Carolina, and I think that's the case for really any defense. But I, I think South Carolina's defense is so much better when their defensive line is, is winning the battle at the line of scrimmage, it frees the linebackers up to make more tackles in a run game and to, to potentially pressure the quarterback uh, or, or even just change direction of, of running plays. And, and then it makes life so much easier on the secondary when the, the defensive line is able to get pressure in passing situations and, and reduces the amount of time that the secondary has to cover and, and also you know makes quarterbacks get rid of the ball sooner makes them throw it less accurately in a lot of cases and, and creates opportunities for turnovers. So if South Carolina can win that battle handily uh, at the line of scrimmage, I, I think South Carolina's chances of winning this game going away increase dramatically, uh, particularly if Garantano is a quarterback. So uh, I think that's the key. Now, if, if regardless of who the quarterback is, if South Carolina is not winning that battle, they can't get pressure, Tennessee's running the football, then that drastically changes the complexion of the game, too, and makes it much more likely to be a, a fourth-quarter battle. So uh, I think that the defensive line is, is, is key this week and is going to be key in, in every game left on the schedule. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I, I look at it and – on paper, they have an advantage, but you never know. I mean, Tennessee's, you know, I've, I'll watch them some games and they, they can't go an inch. They can't go a foot, it seems. And then some other games, they look like, you know, an NFL team out there running the football. It's just weird. Um, so I think a lot, of, a lot of it depends on what, <laughs> what Tennessee shows up. 
uh, and how good South Carolina plays. I will say this. I think the Vols are really good at receiver, and I think they've got some talent in the secondary as well. Um, you know, I, I think those are two potential problem areas uh, for South Carolina on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and I think you mentioned the receivers. I, I think so much of that goes back to the defensive line. If, if, if they're not pressuring the quarterback – and the secondary has to cover for extended periods of time over and over again, then I think Tennessee's going to have some chances to hurt South Carolina in their passing game, uh, assuming the, the ball is being delivered accurately. Um, you know, as far as South Carolina's receivers go, you know, they, they've really shown the ability to get open for the most part really since the North Carolina game. That was the one that was the most puzzling, but they just couldn't get separation, had a hard time getting guys open, Brian Edwards in that game. But since then – you know, the receivers have gotten open and done their job, and they did it again last week against Florida, especially down the field, but Helensky wasn't able to to put the ball where they could make plays on it. So I think it's going to be key for Helensky to to uh, put the ball where the receivers can make plays, capitalize on the down-the-field throws when they present themselves as you know opportunities. And then he can certainly expect to see some cornerback blitzes this week from Jeremy Pruitt when you look at – at the success Florida had that, that you know, the, the, the two times Grantham did that, uh, both were, were game changing plays that, you know, stopped South Carolina's momentum when they're running the, the ball down Florida's throat in the red zone. And then, you know, they caused the turnover on the next one. And, and I think in, in both those cases, there was an opportunity for Helensky to at least recognize the possibility of it uh, pre-snap, and, and he just didn't do it, and that's that's not uncommon for a true freshman. So I think that's something he's going to have to look for again this week and, and be better prepared to handle it and to, to throw where that cornerback's coming from, the area he's vacating, or or just throw the ball away if he has to. But uh, but he can't afford to, to take the sack and, and put himself in a position to, to turn it over. Yeah, no doubt on the turnovers. That's uh... – that's critical. Um, a lot of people are mentioning, and, and I don't know, you know, I guess whenever a team loses a game, there's all these questions that come up. And uh, I, I've gone back and forth about the receiver core, how well they recruit their the future of it after Edwards and Smith leaves. I, I think, you know, I've talked about a lot of things in terms of this program in terms of a 20-year window. And in that 20 years, I think – we all sit around and worry who's going to replace Jermail Kelly and Brian Scott. And then, you know, here comes Matthew Thomas and Troy Williamson. Who's going to replace Troy and then Sidney Rice. And then who's going to replace Sidney? You know, you know, it, it seems like South Carolina always has a guy that steps up that becomes the go-to or there's a couple, you know, like when, when Bruce Ellington and Ace Sanders kind of picked up the reins from Alshon Jeffrey. Um, and you look at it and it, you know, Edwards is a really good player, and Shai Smith, I, I think, you know, I'm not going to say I'm disappointed in him, but uh, it'd be better if they could get more downfield, long, big plays from him. Um, but beyond that, they're, they're just not getting that much production. You know, I think Josh Van's been solid. I think Chavis Dawkins is good in terms of the run game and blocking and all the kind of the blue-collar stuff. It, but, but, yeah, they're just not getting a lot of guys. Is this an issue? You know, because I kind of think also because Nick Muse and Kyle Markway are playing well that they they run a lot of two tight end stuff. Um, and maybe rightfully so, but but I, I don't know. Is this an issue or is this something to be concerned about or just something that people mention over the you know after a loss that that probably really isn't all that important. No, I think it is an issue. I think you you look at, at you know Brian Edwards is definitely gone. Shy Smith. 
you know, at some point earlier in the season, there was talk that he would test the waters at least, and he might still file his papers, but I don't think he's ready. But if you can get Shai Smith back, uh, I think that would certainly help. They're going to need a guy like Xavier Leggett, who, who was really impressive in fall practice, but it really hasn't carried over to games this year. They're going to need him to develop. You know, they had Jay Urich and, and to carry on Joyner working at receiver. Uh, and and that gave you some hope for the future with with the potential of those two. But Jake Bentley gets hurt. Jay Yurich and, and Joyner move back to quarterback. And uh, you know, so you just don't know where they're going to be from a development standpoint. But I don't think there's any question that next season is going to be uh, a, a, a turning point for the receivers in one direction or the other. And and I, I don't think Brian McClendon has recruited quite as well as I thought he would at the receiver position really hasn't landed those those you know, couple of big name guys that you would expect him to land based on his history and and I just don't think he's recruited enough speed there um uh, just too many guys running four or five four or six you, you need some guys who can stretch the field and and really right now out of outside of shy smith um you know they don't really have that I mean Edwards can can do it with deception and seems to get a step on a cornerback but he's not a speed guy uh, but I th- so I think there's questions about you know, who those guys are going to be that they can depend on outside of Shy Smith starting next year. And you know, Josh Fan is just he just he doesn't seem to to have any speed. Quite mm-hmm. honestly, just you know, he does nothing with the ball after the catch, and uh, has has I can't think of a single time this year when he was open down the field. So I don't really understand that because that's not the kind of player he was in high school. He had speed. He made big plays and and you know picked up yards after the catch and and it just he hasn't shown it so far at South Carolina. He's been a, a puzzling one to watch. Yeah, he plays slow. I mean, and that, that's the thing, and and that, that's what worries me. And I know McClendon didn't rec- he didn't coach receivers at Georgia very long. Um, he was the running backs coach, but. I look at what Georgia used to have at receiver, Tony, and it was a mystery to me every single year that, you know, they didn't – they recruited a lot of named guys, and they recruited some guys that were big. Um, they just didn't recruit a lot of speed uh, out there. Uh, they didn't really have a lot of fast, fast receivers. I mean, A.J. Green was probably the best receiver they had during the um, the Ricked era. Uh and, you know, he wasn't what you'd call a burner. He's a Hall of Fame receiver, in my opinion. But he just wasn't what you call a burner. And uh, they just didn't have a lot of guys. And, and I, I I don't know. Uh, I, I think that a lot of times, you know, when you get caught up in, in size at that spot, you know, it, it's a big concern, uh, you know, because you do sacrifice some. That That's the one position where I, I'll take a 5'9 guy that can fly uh, over a guy that's maybe six two, that's a uh, four six kind of guy, you know. Uh, provided you know all things are equal in terms of ball skills and things like that, you know. I, I think Shy Smith is an outstanding player. Heck, he's what five ten, five eleven, um, and uh, I think they need more Shy Smiths and, and and less guys that are big and bulky. Um, and that's not to say a big and bulky guy can't be fast, because but, but those guys are like Debo Samuel. They're freaks. And, and you, I think we all get concerned about this because you look at the Spurrier era, once Sidney Rice, once they kind of figured out, you know, Steve Spurrier wasn't a guy that had a lot of big 6'5 receivers. Once they figured that out, though, you know, Steve Spurrier Jr. would go all in on tall receivers. <laughs> and a lot of them didn't work out. Now, some of them did. But a lot of them didn't. I mean, you know, you had Alshon, and then 
you sort of had the D.L. Moores of the world and, and the Quentin Smiths of the world. And, you know, Jason Barnes, you know, personally, I thought Jason Barnes was going to be better than he was, but he didn't, he wasn't really a guy that did much. Uh, and so I think people kind of get worried. And I get worried sometimes, too, that maybe they're they're chasing Debo a little bit. Debo's a freak. He's He's a rare guy. You know, there are just not that many guys that are that big that can run like him and play wide receiver. That's just not going to – you're not going to find him every year. Uh, but you can go to places like South Florida and Atlanta and uh, all the places the Gamecocks recruit and find some daggum good guys that are 5'11 that can fly. <laughs> and uh, I just think that's what they need to do. Um not not universally, but you, you got to have more speed, especially Ryan Holinsky is your quarterback, man. Ryan Holinsky is not a dual threat guy, or he, he's he's got to have guys to throw to. His arm talent is what makes him a potentially special player, and so you got to have guys for him to throw to. Give him the whole field to do it. So I don't I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully though, that's Xavier Leggett, and hopefully Josh Van is still feeling his way and actually is faster than he looks on the field on Saturday. So that would be my take on it. I'm, I'm hopeful for that. I do think Nick Muse continues to look good, though, Tony. I think that uh, I think the Gamecocks have something going with him. Uh, every week it seems like he does something athletically that's very impressive. Um, Tavian Feaster mentioned him earlier. Uh I think it's important for him to have a big day again Saturday along with Mon Denson. I, I just don't know with the strength of Tennessee being in the secondary that you can expect Helensky to drop back and pick these guys apart. Uh, so I think I think establishing the run and getting Feaster going again um, along with Denson is, is critical. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, you know, Feaster's coming off his career high last week, and I'm sure he's itching to get back out there and and get another chance to to follow that up. Uh, and then Denson, you know, knows that that this is an opportunity for him. This is it. You know, he's a senior, and Dowdle was out for sounds like two or three weeks, and so this is an opportunity for Denson to to really capitalize on that. And 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 they should be the the two headed monster with with Turner Hurd and and Fenwick a mystery. It's it's going to be those two carrying the load. So um, they need both of those guys to be ready to to. I'd say wouldn't surprise me if they both carried it fifteen times or more. So. Um, they they need to be ready to produce and and uh, make life tough on that Tennessee defense. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that's uh, that's going to be a very big key to the football game. All right, 4 p.m. SEC Network, um, Gamecocks and Volunteers renew it. Gamecocks could finish the decade seven and three against Tennessee uh, if they win, and uh, I know that. Uh, those losses, Tony, are <laughs> the, the, the one that they lost to in Columbia when Josh Dobbs led the comeback. I mean, I, I've never seen Steve Spurrier just get up and walk out of a press conference like that at the end of a game. You could just tell he just couldn't, he just couldn't even handle it. I couldn't handle that game. That was, that was a bizarre game. So my point is Gamecocks could be even better against these guys than they have been. But 7-3 uh, and three is pretty good, and I think that's going to be a uh, – if they could finish that off, that would be good. It was also helped this season because you go and you win this one. You got this one. You got Vandy. You got App State. I know App State's ranked. I know it's not going to be an easy game. It's still a game the Gamecocks should win, though, in my opinion. It's a Sun Belt team. Okay. They're good. They're really good, but they are in the Sun Belt. 
Um, you know, and then you're sitting at six and four going to A&M Clemson. You know, I think that's a great scenario for South Carolina. And, and I think, quite frankly, it, it, it's manageable. But you also kind of, with the way the season started, I think you're kind of hesitant to just say, ah, they've got these next three and then it'll, you know, everything will hinge on A&M or Clemson. Um, so I think that I think it's I think it's manageable though if you look at it, especially if you can get past the game Saturday. I agree. You know, this is a big stretch for South Carolina, and it's a stretch they need to play well in and get the wins. And and you know, it all starts this week at Tennessee. I think this is a, a game where a lot is on the coaches and the player leaders to make sure this team is focused and ready and not taking Tennessee lightly. I know they were probably a, you know, a bad football team to start the year, and South Carolina's players probably saw a bad football team on film for a lot of the season, but they've gotten better of late, and, and I, I think Pruitt will have his guys ready, and Muschamp and, and his coaches and, and player leaders have to do the same and, and have a team that's focused and ready to go and, and doesn't let Tennessee build early momentum and, and get confidence. Uh, I think if South Carolina can, can get off to a good start up there, and, and uh, I think it could, could do wonders for them as the game goes on. Absolutely. And don't forget Tony Morrell's Five Keys to Victory, which will hit the Bigspur.com on Friday. Also, I'll be back with the final word on Friday, giving my prediction, score prediction, and keys to the football game. Thanks for listening to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. For Tony Morrell, this is J.C. Sherbert. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll holla at you soon.